So can we just begin this morning by complaining a little bit? I mean, we have one job to do, right? And we printed the wrong scripture, you know. <laughs> and last week, I mean, it was like 10 minutes over worship, and the coffee's always that Folgers junk, you know. And I, we just, you know, in the spirit of Fred, uh, Frank Costanza, I've got a lot of problems with you people. And it's scriptural. We can complain this morning because that, if you noticed, uh, if you perhaps were reading along or maybe listening, you heard over and over again in our text six times some version of the word complain. The people of God have a long history of complaining. It hasn't taken long for the Hebrews' attitudes to sour After they were saved from Egypt, last week Marty shared that incredible story, the waters parting, them walking across on dry land. And this week, if only we were back in Egypt. No one can doubt at this point that God desires to save his people from slavery in Egypt. If you remember from the very beginning in Exodus, just several weeks ago, we heard God tell Moses, I have heard the cries of my people and I am coming to save them, God says. But the question this morning, the complaint the Israelites have with God is not as if God is going to save him for he already has, but will God sustain them? Or has God just saved them to die in the wilderness? Salvation and sustenation are two very different things. I can save you from financial crisis, give you a little money, take you to the food pantry so you can get a bag of groceries. But that's not the same as sustenance. To sustain you, I need to make sure that you'll survive beyond this act of salvation. I need to make sure you have food to eat long term on your table every night, a job that will provide for you, a home you can sleep in. Had God freed the Hebrews and just left them alone to find their way through the wilderness, this wouldn't have made God an evil God. That's what he promised. I'm going to save them from slavery, and that's what God did. But as the Hebrews stand on the other side of the Red Sea and in front of them is this formidable Sinai wilderness. Having no food, no provision, they left with nothing. What's going to happen? And they can't help but wonder if they were just better off in Egypt. And they gather around Moses and Aaron and their bellies are growling. And they begin to cry out, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord. Just put us out of our misery in Egypt. Oh, back in those days, it was so grand in Egypt where we sat by the flesh pots, ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Sometimes at the end of worship, we wonder If we were brought here to die of hunger as we wait for lunch, you know the feeling. And it's a harsh critique. I mean, given what life was like in Egypt and Moses, well, Moses, you got to love this guy. And I'm thinking about borrowing some of Moses' pastoral, uh, some of his pastoral skills, his response to their complaining. He says it twice. For what are we that you complain about us? He says it again. What are we? Your complaint is not against us, but your beef is with God. Moses just deflects. Don't blame me. God brought us out here. God showed up in a bush. God told me to come and to release you. And God's the one who hasn't provided. So leave me alone and talk to God. We'll try that sometime. I don't think it'll go as well as it did for Moses. But amazingly, God, they take their complaint to God. And God doesn't do a reverse Costanza and say, I've got a lot of problems with you people too. But God listens. In the midst of their crying 
God hears their cries once again, just like he did when they were in Egypt. God hears their cries and he comes to their to their assistance. And the question, will God not only save them, but sustain them is answered. And God provides for them in the wilderness. We're told that God sends them bread and quail from heaven. Well, it wasn't really bread. That's what we've called it. And the text even says it. But historically, we've called it manna. Manna really isn't a type of food. Manna is a Hebrew word. Manna is in our text, but Gary didn't read it because the translators translated the meaning of manna, which is, what is it? That's all manna is. What is it? They called it, what is it? Because no one ever figured out 40 years in the wilderness, and they never figured out what it was. It was manna. What is it? Every morning, there, what is it was on the ground, and they gathered it. And every evening around sundown, when they got tired of eating whatever it was, quail came. Bread in the morning, meat at night. It wasn't the high life, but we're told it sustained them. Everything they needed for help, they got. Always enough to eat, but they're told never to collect more than they needed. They had to make sure that everyone had enough. No hoarding. If you hoarded it, it's spoiled. But every day you could trust that in the, in the evening there would be bread, and in the morning the glory of the Lord would be everywhere, the text says. There would be manna. Of course, it got a little boring after 40 years. In the morning, they ate manna with a slice of manna, boiled manna, grilled manna, raw manna, toasted manna, manna creole, manna soup. In the evening, quail burgers, quail tacos, quail burritos, grilled quail, quail, medium rare or medium or just rare. Just try it. And it got a little boring. But everyone always had enough. No one was ever hungry again. No one ever questioned, would God provide? In the evening, the text says that they would know that the Lord had saved them. God gives salvation. But in the morning, it says they would, they would see the glory of the Lord. And their God not only would save them, but sustain them every morning. It's a great story, but what is it? What do we do with it? We've barely seen rain fall from the sky here in Iowa lately, let alone manna. In her book, Bread of Heaven, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about this story about manna. And she offers a suggestion to that very ancient question, what is it? She says, to this day, if you visit the Sinai Peninsula, where all this happened, you'll find that the Bedouin Arabs who live in the desert still collect something that they call manna, still to this day. To them, manna is this flaky secretion, and follow me, I'm actually saying these words, this flaky secretion that comes from a form of plant lice that feeds on tamaris trees, worms. Tamaris trees are not nourishing uh, in and of themselves, so these lice, they need to eat a lot to live, and so they secrete, this is not me, this is from a book, they secrete a lot of bug juice, and the bug juice is rich in sugar and carbohydrates, and that when harvested, they mix into this delicious batter that they bake bread out of, and cakes and other sweet treats, but it must be mixed immediately. If they store it, if they keep it, it rots, it spoils. So she asked the question, perhaps bug juice could be manna, the same manna God provided for the Israelites. So maybe, maybe bug juice. Maybe that's what it is. But bug juice is far from miraculous, isn't it? It's kind of ordinary and a little gross. Bread from bugs. What is it? It's nothing miraculous. Or is it? 
Now, just a few weeks ago, churches throughout Iowa and one in Minnesota and Minneapolis did a cleanup bucket and hygiene kit drive for people affected by hurricanes. Our church hosted it, 69 buckets, 220 kits were collected and shipped to those recovering from hurricanes. What is it? Nothing miraculous. Or is it? Volunteers uh, two weeks ago gave up their Saturday, spent several hours sitting in front of Fairway. They got rained on. They asked their neighbors to buy groceries for the food pantry. And they filled our church bus with food. Every seat, every bit of the floor was full. Nothing miraculous. Or is it? A fellow church member is in need, and the church rallies around them to help them. A neighbor in the community got laid off and needs a little extra help, so the church finds out and helps. A group of leaders hear stories of family, of friends, of neighbors, and people they may not even know who struggle with mental illness, and they go to their state capitol. They talk to their legislators about funding for mental health care. What is it? It's nothing miraculous, right? Maybe it is. Our story began with this people as a selfless, complaining group. If only, if only they keep saying, looking back to the past, they have no vision for their future, only where they have come from. But by the end of the story, the text calls them this other word, not a group of complaining people, but they are a congregation. The whole congregation gathers food, we're told. The very act of sharing food is what makes this ragtag group of former slaves a congregation. As they make sure that God's abundance is shared and anyone who has need among them is cared for, they become a congregation right there in the wilderness. And don't think for a moment that God is just giving them something to eat. Because God's doing something more, and perhaps this is the real miracle. God is creating for them an entire way of living, an economic system, if you will. A way of life where as the people of God, if you are to be the people of God, then this is how you should live. Every morning, give thanks for what God has given you. But never take more than what you need. Make sure that your neighbor has enough for themselves. And every evening when you go to bed, you see the goodness of the Lord that day, and you give thanks For God has saved you. This is what it means to be a congregation. This is what it means to be the people of God. And yeah, yeah, we know some congregations that are good at the complaining part. And every once in a while, we want to turn to that hymn way in the back, number six something, if only. If only. If only things were different. If only things were like they were before. It can be our favorite hymn. But you, I believe you, the beautiful people of God, you are a congregation, a congregation that's called by God to share with one another, to make sure that no one here is left out. But as a congregation, we're sent out too to not just share among ourselves, but in an age where the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer where the storehouses of manna are just built and built and built and there's so much stored and not enough shared. A congregation is what the world needs. And some people look at a congregation and they say, well, what is it? What is it? That sounds too good to be true. And it's really nothing miraculous. It's kind of like bug juice. People helping others in need. People standing up for one another. Trusting one another. Defending one another. Loving one another. Nothing miraculous. Or is it? 
Or is it? Look around this morning, church. Look around and see God's abundance among us. Look around and you shall see the glory of the Lord alive and here. Amen.